everybody should be able to free themselves from gender binary, regardless of their orientation. It opens the door for people to consider queerness and gender and sexuality as on a spectrum. Before we start today's show, I want to introduce you to April Rose Gabrielli. Her new single, Tameless, is a track co-written and co-produced by April Rose Gabrielli and Kulik for an incredible new documentary, Not the Science Type. It just made its debut at the Tribeca Film Festival and follows four inspiring female scientists who are changing the world through their groundbreaking work in a field dominated by men. You can dig back through the archives to find an episode featuring April and go and check out the song Tameless by April Rose Gabrielli on Spotify now. Hey there, I'm Stevie. I'm a musician from New York City and the host of This Next Song's About. If you haven't joined me before, this is a podcast for songwriters and music fans alike. In the podcast, I take you behind the scenes for a closer look at how musicians write their songs, what their career's been like, and I also try to uncover some of the secrets of the music industry with experts from across the country. Today, as we continue to celebrate Pride Month, my guest is Aaron Is Your Friend. Aaron Is Your Friend is the project of LA-based singer-songwriter and producer Aaron Lindenberg. Aaron and I met on the New York music scene a couple of years ago at a So Far show, and I really enjoyed his music so much, and his energy was just so beautiful, I wanted to introduce him to you on the show. Aaron and I get deep in this episode, and we talk about music releases, queer culture, gender norms and presentations as artists, and we also take a listen to his song, Self. This was a really interesting one for me as Aaron flipped some of my questions back on me. So it felt a lot less like an interview and more like a conversation between two friends who happen to be artists as well. So sit back and enjoy with your new friend, Aaron. Aaron is your friend or the artist Aaron Lindenberg, known as Aaron is your friend. Thank you and welcome to the podcast. It's good to see you. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I understand I'm popping your podcast cherry, my friend. Oh my God, that's so sorry. That's so sexual for for a podcast right now. (laughs) (laughs) I was taken off guard by that. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) That's okay. But yeah, no, I've never been on a podcast before. I, I mean, it's dangerous because once you get me talking, I will keep going until somebody louder and smarter interrupts me. So I'm so excited to be here. Is that my job? That's your, that's your <laughs> job. That's where you come in. Yeah. Okay. I will do my best. So Aaron, why don't you start <laughs> off by telling me why you chose Aaron as your friend as your moniker? Yeah, I was going by my full name for a while and it was just not the wave. Like nobody could spell my last name. 
most people don't know how to spell Aaron. Like it's just, it was, it was hard to find. And honestly, I can't quite remember how I came upon Aaron is your friend, but I just wanted something that was snappy and easy to remember and easy to follow, but also something that felt like, I think I liked that it kind of cut through because it's like sort of disarmingly sweet. It's like, oh, like whenever I tell people my stage name, they're like, oh, I love that. <laughs> and I'm like, I love that. Like, I love I love that it gets that um, that response out of people. It and is it cute. Kind of, it's adorable. You know, because it's like when you meet a, an artist, you're kind of prepared for them to have some sort of like clever or obscure name. And then you're going to be like, oh, yeah, like, I, I guess I'll, I'll pre-save this band that's called like Leaping Foxes or whatever. But it's like <laughs> with Aaron is your friend, you're just like, oh my gosh, that's so, hopefully the, the impression is like, oh, that's so like kind and like, I don't know, like genuine. And I feel like that's where I come from when mm-hmm. I'm making art. And that's how I want my art to hit is like, oh, it's like disarmingly mm-hmm. genuine and sweet. Um, but also me, it's Aaron. It is a pure expression of myself. I'm not like a pseudonym kind of guy. Mm-hmm. You definitely succeed with charm and disarm with Aaron as your friend yeah. instantly you're like Love oh that. who is this oh this is so sweet who is this guy he is my friend okay. you're like do I know this guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> I love that charm and disarm absolutely one question I do and maybe this is a bit deep for for a first question on a, or a first date on a first podcast never too deep oh, hmm. how deep is too deep I was listening yeah. to I think it was Sarah Silverman and I and she made a comment and I think it was just after the friends Ugh. reunion hit and she'd made a comment about Rachel and Monica being Jewish characters and being played by non-Jewish actresses or actors. Goishas, shiksas. Shiksas, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and in terms of that being more palatable for a general audience. And I wonder if this is an appropriate question, but in terms of changing your name from Aaron Lindenberg and what you said about it being hard to spell and whatever, do you think that was to make it easier or more palatable uh-huh. for people? Do you, did you, have you found any negativity towards you? In that regard? Oh, no, I don't think it's I don't think I was worried about not being palatable. I think I was more worried about distinguishing myself and like making mm. making a good first a memorable first impression. I didn't realize Understood. that both Monica and Rachel were Jews. I didn't either. I actually never. I guess Monica and Ross, right? Like Ross very much yes. epitomizes Jewish character. But and I guess Rachel, too, but I don't know why I didn't think of it that way. That's funny. I love that. I love I love like super unnecessary. It's like the JK Rowling Mm. of it all. Like, by the way, Dumbledore's gay. Like, okay, sure. Like, do we need that? You know, Um, (laughs) but yeah, no, no, no. I I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't running Mm. away from anything or like trying to conceal anything. I think I just wanted to be more direct. Mm-hmm. And also not to say that you were trying to conceal anything or whatever. It's just in terms of the experience that you were having as an artist and whether that was less welcoming because of that. But clearly that's not, I've asked, it's it's not the best question or possibly the best thing to start out with. But it is something that I'm curious about within the art space of, you know, anti-Semitism. No, that's totally interesting. I don't think that I was like, God, I'm, I got to make my name less Jewish. Um, <laughs> I feel like my, my, I must have some bios somewhere that are like, gay Jewish songwriter you like <laughs> very much that is that is my cultural identity to a large degree but no it's a good question because I definitely think some people whether they're Jews or whether whatever their background is there's probably like an element of like all right how do I make myself more accessible 
but no, there was definitely, I, I wasn't trying to hide my Jewiness at mm-hmm. all. Never am. But you are an adorable, an uh-huh. adorable gay Jewish boy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. Love that. We're going to talk about your song called Self. We can even listen to it. Yeah. Tell me how you wrote it, the story of the tune that came to you and, and producing it and how it became part of your album. Where to start? Well, I wrote it shortly before lockdown, which obviously is super ironic. And I think it was a turning point for me because I had, I was sort of off the heels of a breakup album. And I was like, sort of not stuck writing in a certain way, but I had, I needed to like process some like heartbreak in a very particular way that was like pretty angry for me. You have to understand like, angry for me is like anybody else's best day. Like I, I'm not aggressive. <laughs> my, my angry music is still like very uh-huh. sugary and pop. You know what I mean? But the, the emotion behind it was definitely like sort of angry and I was processing a lot of feelings. And so when I wrote self, it was the first time that I think I kind of started pivoting away from that era and started writing more playfully and more joyfully. And even though the song is about I can get high by myself, I can go cry by myself, like it is all about being alone. It's it is celebratory. And it's also musically, I think, super minimal and super like linear in this way that the album was not the album was, I think, maximalist and sort of all about like layers and things like meshing together and self kind of came through as like a very almost stripped like linear pop song very hook forward you know there's only one verse there's like chorus a verse b verse chorus 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 you know Mm. so I kind of was like not trying to write the most complex song I was just like getting out a pure feeling and that was what self was so then when lockdown came I was like well this is hilarious (laughs) like I wrote a song about being alone and I would continue to spend more time alone than I ever (laughs) want to again. (laughs) But um, it was beautiful. And that was like a gift that I gave to myself. I'm sure you can relate to like the feeling of writing something and then it like comes true or like you write something and like it almost prophesizes something that will happen later in your life. You know what I mean? It was that kind of thing. And then I made a video that was so um it was like just such a pure heartwarming project getting all of this footage from friends of mine who lived all over the country just taping themselves in their own spaces and like putting that together and it the project of editing that video together and and getting these takes of friends of mine and friends of friends of mine like lip syncing to the song was just like such a balm in a time when I was like so lonely and so like felt like everything had kind of fallen apart. So I have just like the best, the, the warmest feelings about the song. I just love it. Awesome. Well, let's take a listen and then we'll have a bit more of a chat about the album. Yeah. Don't need 
self i like it it is so ridiculously simple yeah in a great way <laughs> it's one of those songs where i'm just thinking that is so simple it's almost like you're rapping on the top of just that line and i literally don't know anything about rap but that's my my impression of it and it's just something that's sort of very simple keeps repeating and you go over the top of it but i love the end and you can sort of manage to even slightly like build a crescendo there and then have it just sort of come back to just that that solo um synth line yeah i mean when I wrote it, it like kind of, I just kind of spat it out. I think I was just singing over that synth line and the drums and I was just singing nonsense. And then just that chorus really just fell out. And I was like, yeah, this is something. It kind of feels like exactly what I wanted to say, freestyling. I feel like it com becomes like pretty trance-like about like halfway through where you're just like, okay, the chorus is going and it's just building and building, there's a point where the chorus vocals all get like very reverby and washed out. And it just kind of feels like you're like sinking into like a, a bath or something like that. Like it's just like a mantra that I was repeating to myself a lot. I wanted to kind of give that feeling of repetition, like swaddling you and just like comforting you. 
Oh, that's lovely. And so you released your album yeah. in, was it March 2020? I, re- I released my album and played my last live show, I think on March 12th of 2020. So, so a week like, before the world shut down. Yeah, a week before. And it was such a fun show. And it was, I was so, you know, it was like pretty momentous to like put out an album and I was feeling really good about it. And then like everything came crashing down and it was pretty wild. As an artist coming out with your debut album, you get to do one show and then it all falls flat. That must have, I mean, emotionally, that must have been quite devastating. I would say it was devastating. Yes. (laughs) But I think it also, you know, in the long term, it was for the best. Everything like everything that I did in the aftermath of it was very much like important self-developmental work in terms of like how I made music and how I wrote songs. It was during that time that I moved to LA and like kicked myself in the ass to like, how am I going to level up here? Like I know that I can write and sing and produce all by myself. And I know that my music resonates with people, but how can I like really aim for the stars here? So as heartbreaking as it was, like leaving New York City and starting over in a new place, it was also like kind of a gorgeous kiss off to like be like, well, the last thing that I did in like the world as I knew it and in my life as I knew it was like prove to myself how good of an artist I can be basically. It was sad, but it was also like inspiring. Like I was, I was proud of that show and I was proud of putting out the album. The album's called Break My Own Heart, by the way. I feel like I should plug it. The details will be in the episode notes. I'm sure they, I'm sure they will be. And Self is from an EP called Emotional that I put out shortly after. Yeah, it was devastating, but I also think that I found like hope in that. And, you know, you have to like focus on the good thing, even when there's bad things happening, because you could have good things happening and only be fixated on the negative, you know? Indeed. And thinking about your move to LA, was that driven by a thought or a feeling that the pop scene is bigger and better in LA than it is in New York? What was what was the driver behind that move? It was exactly that. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, it was exactly that. Yeah, I felt like I had hit a wall in terms of who I was collaborating with or who I could work with that also wanted to make like the same kind of big pop music that I wanted to make in New York. And so I was like ready to start meeting people who are like really, really trying to hit it big, but also like truly love like the aesthetic of pop music. And because I love the aesthetic of pop music. And I think when it's the best version of itself and is like, yes, engineered to like hit the widest audience and like hit everyone's sweet spot in that way, the crossover of like really quality music, really thoughtfully made music music that's intended for the widest widest audience I think that's like transcendent and I just didn't find a lot of people in New York who I think shared that view I have lots of music friends in New York who I admire but they just had different goals and saw themselves going in a different direction so it was that and then also like I just knew that in LA there's more opportunities I think so far I've, I've found it to be true as well there's more opportunities to get paid for writing and production Like I I struggled to find those jobs when I was living in New York. Maybe I just wasn't looking for them in the right places or I wasn't like ready to do that kind of stuff. Okay. I'm thinking about, you know, writing and pop music and you yourself as as an artist in terms of being gay. Thinking about the pop scene 
and obviously happy pride. It is pride. This is a this is sort of a, a pride question, if you like. Happy pride, everybody. Yeah. Happy pride. I chatted with uh, Josh Breckenridge on the last episode, and we were discussing the movement of, I guess, the kind of shift that we're seeing in terms of gay male pop artists or pop idols, if you like. And and one question I didn't ask him, mind you, partially because I forgot, but also I am curious to see your opinion on it. Do you think that we're seeing a shift in the way that sort of male sexuality is being played out? Oh, I have so many opinions about this. I love this question. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there's absolutely a shift going on. And the first thing that comes to my head is like, people are very skeptical. And I think rightfully so to an extent, people are skeptical of heterosexual or you know, hetero presenting men experimenting with gender and expressing their gender in different ways, mm-hmm. like Harry Styles and the, the Harry Styles of it all. I'm sure everybody can think of who whoever else is also like playing with fashion in a, like a, a gender queer way. X. And sure, yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Troy Silver. And yeah, absolutely. And I feel like well, I mean, they're, they are gay artists, so it's like it means something different for them oh, see, to do it mm-hmm. than for like a straight artist like Harry's. I mean, I use straight in quotation marks because I don't believe in, you know, I, we're all on the Kinsey scale, of course. But I think that it's a missed opportunity to, to be cynical of that because absolutely every straight man should free themselves. Like we should all free ourselves from like binaries. I don't know if this answers your question. I think there's a other side of this question too, in terms of like queer pop stars being more prominent in culture. But I always think about like the queering of straight artists and straight pop stars and straight movie stars and whatever. And I'm all about it. I'm honestly, I'm like, get a stylist who's going to like help you experiment with women's wear and stuff. And I think that that's like, I think that's amazing. I think that everybody should be able to free themselves from gender binary regardless of their orientation and when you say queering you mean with regard to gender presentation i think that's mainly it and i think that that but i do think that that opens the door for more gray area and like it opens the door for people to like consider queerness and gender and sexuality as on a spectrum rather than everything being so binary I don't know if any of that made sense. I, I clearly had a strong opinion about that. And I don't know if it answered your question. No, absolutely. It, it, it entirely makes sense. And I, with someone like Harry Styles, there is this sort of assumption that because he wears some more feminine presenting clothes or sometimes he wears women's clothes or whatever, or he presents. Yeah. And he works it the fuck out. Yeah. He don't, yeah, he, he does. wears the clothes, you know? And he's so <laughs> interested in fashion. Like he has a genuine... Yeah love for it and that really comes through and I, I was watching something Anna Wintour was speaking about and I think she, he, you know he had done a shoot for them or something and it is so interesting that the culture is so heteronormative of as soon as somebody goes out with what we know as the gender binary for you know masculinity it's oh he's he must be gay and we make assumptions about people's sexuality based on their gender presentation. And it's this you know right. lack of understanding about gender presentation and sexuality. And it's so interesting to see people starting to play with these things in a way that is authentic to them, but is starting to make some people feel uncomfortable and have these conversations and push boundaries. Yeah, it's more subversive, uh, more subversive for him to do it that as a straight man than it would be for him to if he were gay mm. or queer, which he might be. But you know what I mean? Like, I think that's amazing. And 
honestly, I'm inspired by it as a queer person. You know what I mean? So like queer people have been inspiring and inspired by straight or quote unquote straight pop stars forever. I mean, David Bowie is like a queer icon when he is by all accounts a straight Mm -hmm. man, quote unquote straight man. But what he did for the culture and the way that he expressed his gender was groundbreaking and was inspiring for everyone. So like, I think somebody like Harry Styles wearing his gorgeous dresses, and it's not even just dresses, that's that's reductive. It's like truly just breaking out of the menswear, like male pop star gender presentation in even the smallest ways. That's inspiring for queer people and for straight people. And it, it begs the question, like, what is queer? Like, is everybody, could everybody mm-hmm. be queer? Because it's not just, it's sexuality, but it's also gender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's how you present both your sexuality and your gen- your gender in a presentation. It's an interesting point about David Bowie, and I think for me, Harry Styles takes it one step further is beyond the stage. For David Bowie, it was very much about a character and a stage presence. I don't think we really saw him take it off stage, but and maybe that was because it wasn't safe or he didn't feel it was safe in terms of his success or whether that was just you know not authentic for him. But Harry Styles has definitely taken that off stage. Or rather, he's just taking it on stage. It is who he is, and that's where he goes with it. Yeah, that makes me think, like, what is the stage? The stage extends wherever you want it to. It does now, (laughs) but it didn't then. Like, when David Bowie was at the top of his game, there was no Instagram. You weren't constantly, as you say, on stage. That's a really good point. I think it's super interesting, because then then it bleeds into, like, we all have to present. Like, there's no... I mean, there is the option of like not presenting and not performing if you opt out of social media, but because our lives are so ruled by social media. Our lives are careers if you're an artist. Your success as an artist can be determined by how many followers you have. Absolutely. And there's a pressure there to present at all. And I definitely have struggled with that as like an independent artist and realizing that it shouldn't be just one person's job to help you present. (laughs) It shouldn't, it shouldn't be just your job. The people who the like pop stars with, you know, the most followers, like usually Mm -hmm. they have a team of like people who are like helping them make very thoughtful decisions about how they're going to present to the world and like what, yes, what they will wear. And like, that's like how they communicate with their fans. So I don't know. It's a whole, it's a whole Pandora's box. It is. And I think, you know, as artists, when we start to think about releasing anything even putting anything on instagram it's like what is the image what is the brand what is the idea of who we are and what we want people to see and it you know you can go as micro as that and yes it does stress me out and i'm just like i'll just i'll just post some stories or i'll repost a few people's because i'm like oh my god what am i going to put up you know and i I have sort of a love-hate relationship with it and personally i started off my my genre was was country and i was certainly trying to fit into like a country style and you know i had i had long blonde hair and i curled it and all this shit and you know wore my daisy oh my dudes. gosh i need to see these photos oh my god dig dig back into the archives and it just felt really uncomfortable for me and now i'm like okay you know this is my presentation and i'm much happier with it but it, i actually had to kind of divorce myself from kind of the music side of things to figure out how I wanted to present what was most comfortable for me. And then I sort of fell out of love a little bit with the country music scene because I found it so superficial in a way in terms of that presentation and in terms of some of the music what I even found superficial. 
But then there's this kind of a, an old style or an old school kind of country or Americana that I've always loved. And that is really about the songwriting. And that's where I wanted to come back to and find my authenticity within that. I think that's super interesting. Sorry, I just wanted to respond to what you said. I think that's super interesting the way that you like reacted to the basically the the gender presentation of it all and like the 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 way that the country music industry works. It made me think like do we find out who we are and how we want to present and how we feel most comfortable? Does music help us find that out or do we have to find it out first and then channel it into the music? It's like is it one or the other or do they both like work in tandem you know like i think that's super interesting that that was your journey towards a more towards a presentation that was more in line with yourself Mm -hmm. it's funny how like that journey towards myself has definitely pushed me away from other things and but in terms of country you know the sort of straight white male country artist and the way that his masculinity has to be portrayed on stage or within his music I think I just find that so toxically masculine. I just, and that is something that that really does repel me away from country music. And and, and like, it's it's country music to some extent yeah. has always been political. You go back as far as like the Indigo Girls getting banned off, you know, from from country radio. So it's it's interesting. It's it's an interesting genre from that you know from that regard. We're talking about you. So Aaron, it really is <laughs> not at all. This was an yeah. Sorry. I just was, I had to stop. I had to ask. Yeah. No, no, no. It was a fun tangent. I, I appreciated that. And I was really curious to see what your opinions on, on gender presentation and particularly as a pop artist. And there is that beautiful um, promo shot that you have and you're wearing these two gorgeous um, turquoise earrings. And I love that. I love that promo shots. It's really beautiful. Those were taken by Matthew Martin, who is a fabulous photographer. Oh, okay. Well, well mm-hmm. done, Matthew Martin. Um, so thinking about, you know, we're now coming out of fingers, I'm not, you know, fingers crossed, we're now coming out of um, a very, very dark time (laughs) in all of our lives. And you've got an album that you want to promote. How are things looking for you in terms of being able to go and play shows? You know, I know that as I've started speaking with artists off, you know, off the microphone or behind the microphone, whatever you want to call it, a lot of the shows that many of them would do were so far based and so far really struggled during the pandemic they had they actually had paid employees in a number of the bigger cities and they had to shut down a lot of those offices or you know hubs if you like and personally you know the new york scene and new york artists really kind of relied on that and now they've they've sort of got a different model i'm like oh how are we going to come back to this and and also music venues have also struggled many of them have shut down what do you think is going to be your path back to performing? Yeah, it's a really good question. I feel like everything, like everything kind of fell apart. And now that it's going to be, we're going to put it back together. I think it's going to take a different shape. And I don't know what that is, but I'm like excited to see it. I obviously miss performing live and I want to do it as soon as I can do it, but I also feel like, yeah, I just think it's going to look different and it's probably going to, I hope that it's better. I don't know. I think so far was a great, was a great way for me to develop my sound and to develop my live show and to like play to captive audiences and just feel like I was doing my job as an artist and as a performer. Like it can be hard to feel that way when you're like having to like promote odd shows that nobody comes to and it you know you're barely getting paid you're like 
You know, it's like so backwards the way that works. Whereas so far is like you come in and like there's people who are ready to like be acquainted with you and they like are are ready to hear you. Um, so that just felt so nice. So I really enjoyed that. Um, but I'm also in a new city with new venues. And I think as LA starts to kick in, I think I just need to start like seeing what's up here. And I, I have a feeling that I'm going to feel, I'm going to approach live shows from a different angle out here because I, I starting over kind of. Yeah. What I, I'm curious your thoughts about like playing live again. Like, are you excited? Are you nervous? Are you <laughs> like what, you're in Mexico. Where where are you? Uh, where are you going to play? <laughs> yes, I am in Mexico. <laughs> um, okay. I head back to New York next week, actually. So I will be back in New York. But you know, for me, I had a really. Oh, I haven't. Really, oh, it's a good question, Aaron. I haven't really spoken about this. I had a sort of challenging relationship with my music during the pandemic because, I think, because I, you know, I had a day job. I had so much guilt around doing anything any live music or whatever and I just I don't know I, I had so much guilt around it I was doing my podcast so I was being creative I have another podcast so I was being creative in one sense and I kind of gave myself a pass to do music or to write music and I think with everything that happened during the pandemic I was like what do I have to say that is worth saying right now most of my music is very sort of broken heart, all of that stuff. And I wasn't feeling particularly broken hearted about any relationships. And it's one of those, I think I need to, sometimes you need to get out of these habits that you are in of writing when you were in a certain place and, and being able to write about other things that you're feeling. But I think also during the pandemic, you know, Black Lives Matter was happening. There was a pandemic. So many people had lost their jobs and I just couldn't dig into anything that I wanted to write about even if it was for somebody else. I think it's fair to say I was probably in a, de in a depressed state and going in and out of it and found it really hard to write during that time. So I took, a, I've pretty much taken a year and a half out of writing anything. And in terms of going back, I am very nervous about it. I don't know. It's one of those things. I think I have to rediscover who I am as an artist and what I want to say. So thank you for asking a very difficult question of me. <laughs> no, I... I think I had a very similar experience. I think a lot of musicians went through that. It was kind of like a little ego death, a little personal, personal, like dark night of the soul where it's like, well, what am I even doing? Like if the live aspect is taken out, it's like sucking all of the air out of the room. And like, I don't know, it just felt like kind of pointless sometimes to be making music. And like I made music and I wrote a lot during the last year, but I also had like a generally hopeless perspective about it and it was hard. It didn't feel good to to make music a lot of the time, but I do think like rebirth has come and like will mm -hmm. continue to come from that. And I think that also like if you take a year off of making music and you come back to it, like if you're a musician, if you're an artist, like that's always going to stay with you and you're always going to be able to do that so a year off to like feel what you're feeling and to, it's like that's no time at all you come back in it with like a completely refreshed perspective usually and like what you said like what am I trying to say well, what is what is what role does music play in my life and also like what is my voice and I feel like I had to ask myself that same exact question over and over again last year. 
it was tough, but I feel like it's constructive in the long run. Mm-hmm. But I think you had enough faith in yourself and your direction that you picked up and moved to LA in the middle of a pandemic, knowing that at the end of it, you would come out of it and be able to, and you were in fact working during the pandemic. So you were, I mean, it, I think emotionally, it sounds like it was, it was a real challenge, but I think it sounds to me like you definitely stuck strong to that belief in yourself and this is what you're going to do. Yeah, I think so. I think I I mourned my life (laughs) at first for a good while, you know, like summer of 2020 was definitely like saying goodbye to a lot of things and feeling very hopeless and alone. But then out of that, I was like, all right, I kind of felt like I had nothing left to lose. And I was like, let's just let's give this a try. Let's start, start over. Um, and starting over is never easy, but it's already worth it. I mean, I I think I'm going to be starting over, over and over for my entire life. So I feel like it's my, it's kind of like my style. (laughs) I'm not used to it, but it's like, that's kind of how I know how to grow and how to live in my life. It's like, all right, let's, let's see if we can reinvent. Let's see if we can start anew. Taking some lessons from Madonna. I'm in, I am in my, I would say I, ray of light era right now. Okay. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, that was a classic Madonna face. It's the best. It's the best. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Aaron. Well, listen, it's been such a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you very much. We dug, we dug deep. I was not expecting to go so deep into, into some of those topics. You know, I get deep, I get deep, I get deep, I get deep. <laughs> That's how I do it. Yeah. Okay. Well, Aaron, listen, best of luck. Um, I hope you're going to promote the shit out of this album because you didn't get a chance to in IRL, if you like, hashtag IRL. Um, I think I will. I think I will also have new music by the time I'm like ready to promote things again. So there will be a world of Aaron is your friend tunes for everybody to get into old and new alike. Do you have Aaron is your friend buttons? Because I want one. I have stickers. I have really cute sticker. I'll send you some stickers if you send me your address. I will do that. Um, I I have a denim jacket that I um, add little buttons to. So if you ever get buttons, please send one my way. Buttons is a good idea. I think I'll have to do that for my next next merch push. When I rebrand... I need to get mm-hmm. some new photos done, but that's a good idea. Awesome. I'm 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 here for all of everyone's marketing ideas. Last week I or the week before I gave Sharice Francisco the idea of a cacao ceremony for her EP release. And I was like, yes. Also because I wanted to Ooh. go. So yes, here for all of your marketing needs. Aaron Lindeberg, Aaron is your friend. Thank you so much. This has been a joy. Thank you so much. I love that. Now you can find Aaron on Instagram at Aaron is your friend, and I've put links to his music in today's show notes. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and this season of This Next Song's About. Now, for personal reasons, I need to take a short break from the pod as I will be moving back to the US. If you've been listening, you may know that I've been in Mexico for a little while and I need some time to get resettled. So please bear with me. I will be back in the fall with some really exciting guests and how-to episodes. I have some fantastic ideas and guests up my sleeve and I really am excited to bring them to you. If you want to follow me, you can of course do that. You can find me at I am Stevie Mans on Instagram. And of course the pod itself is at this next one's about. And if you want to join our mailing list, The link is in today's episodes and you'll get episode drops direct to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to come back in the fall for season three. I'm Stevie Manns. I'll see you next time.